Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Open up to uh, Philippians 2 again. This is where we started last time when we were thinking about the humiliation of Jesus. So we go back to the same passage because you'll remember there, as we were talking about the humiliation, I said, well, there's a transition, a pivot point, and he begins speaking about the exaltation of Jesus. Now, just a little bit of review. When we speak about, when we spoke, when I spoke, but it was a dialogue, so it is we. When we spoke about the humiliation of Jesus, what were what did we end up talking about? It wasn't that he's embarrassed. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't something along those lines. But humiliation was, his humiliation was what? There it is. Condescension? That's that's about what I said last time. I was on the verge of saying condensation. Con- condescension. Yeah, it's his state of of descending from a high estate to a low estate, right? His humiliation was all of that. It was the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, always in fellowship with the Father, then being born of a woman, right? Living under the law, dying an excruciating death, as the curse for, for sin on a tree. Right? All of that work of Jesus from his, from his incarnation all the way to what? Through his burial. And now, we're, and now we pivot to him being exalted, right? Lifted up. And so we'll be talking about um, different aspects of the, the life and work of our Savior Jesus. So let's read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now here's the pivot. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, so so we're we're going to the flip, flip side, right? We've gone through his humiliation. We go to the flip side to Jesus' exaltation. And you'll notice that this passage at that pivot point has this phrase, uh, where is it? For this reason also, God highly exalted him. 
So what do you think is the meaning of that phrase there? For this reason also. It's a little perplexing. Right? It goes through all the things. He emptied himself to the point of death. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. It's, it's a, yeah, I think what Paul is saying as a consequence of that humiliation, as a consequence of the father being pleased with his son's obedient work, humiliating obedient work, as a consequence of that, God highly exalted him. What do we know is true in, in general? Certainly it is in the life of Christ, but... Um, There's a statement that's repeated a few times in Scripture about humbling and exalting. If we do the humbling, God does the exalting. Okay? Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. First Peter 5, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that God may exalt you at the proper time. Right? So, so there's this, this humbling that God requires, that God, God commands, and he commanded his son, right? And he did that, and then God exalted him at the proper time. But, but did God exalt him... Right from the beginning? No, he, he went through that humiliation. He, he took on the flesh. He lived under the law. He did the excruciating work of being mocked on the cross. And then at the proper time, God highly exalted him. Now, and so... Um, What is his exaltation? When we talk about this exaltation of Christ, what does it consist of? Not the answer I was going for, but what do you mean? Okay. Okay. Right, an exalted position, okay. What, what actions, what uh, events does it consist of? Okay, there's four things, four things in the exaltation of Jesus. The resurrection, the ascension, the session, and the second coming of Jesus. Okay, and so... Um, how are these exaltation? Well, exaltation is the act of raising somebody or something in importance. Raising in importance. He's dying on a cross. And then three days later, he's seated to the right hand of the Father in power and glory, right? And, and, and so this is what we're talking about in exaltation, right? And so don't... Don't get the misconception in your head. Like, humiliation is not vibes, you know, it's not embarrassment, um, but rather speaks of a, ta- a state. So, exaltation is not 
sort of Jesus being having a strong sense of happiness, right? An exalted sort of status, feeling. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actions and positions and a state. We're not talking about emotions and vibes, right? His exaltation is not like, oh, that was an exalted time of worship or something. You know, it was uplifting. It's not about him being uplifted. It's about him being um, given a new state. Yes. Right. Exalt. Exaltation. It's exactly it. We'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> so, because of his humiliation following the state of cons- condescension, he is raised to an estate of exaltation. Now, We went to the Westminster Shorter Catechism last time, which is very helpful. Let's go to the Shorter Catechism this time. Um, Question number 28 is this, wherein consists Christ's exaltation? And Christ's exaltation, this is the answer, consists in, one, his rising again from the dead on the third day. That is is when this new status is initiated, when he rises from the dead. But but resurrection is only one part of this, you know, and, and we we celebrate Jesus' humiliation at Christmas time. We celebrate Jesus' exaltation at Easter time, but both of those are just like emaciated little tiny sections of that, right? The humiliation and exaltation are are much bigger than these things, right? The resurrection is just the beginning of Jesus' exaltation, as important as it is, right? As important as his victory over death is and coming to life. Now, the cross-reference for this is 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All those things, fulfillments of prophecy. Second, so it's resurrection. Second, the the catechism says Christ's exaltation consists in his ascending up into heaven. When did this occur? Forty days later, right? This is what we read about in Acts chapter 1. Right? This is not immediately when he re- rises from the dead. right? This is 40 days later. There is some time where he spent with his disciples um, in between. And so Acts 1.9, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Right? So there, this is 40 days after... And they're looking at him, and he goes up into the clouds. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When he raised him from the dead and then and seated him 
at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, what is this seated at the right hand in the heavenly places? That's what we refer to as Jesus' session. His session at the right hand of the Father. Now, why is Jesus seated to the right hand of the Father? What is it about the right hand? It's a position of honor and authority. The, the, your right hand man, right? It means, you, you know, it, it, there is no higher dignity, there is no higher position than to be to the right hand of God the Father. And he is there. But it's also, it's also a position of, of delegated authority, right? Jesus is to be judge when he returns, right? And God, by putting him to the right hand, is giving him that, that power. He's designating that or proclaiming it, right? So, um, so he's seated to the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Uh, and, the, and the catechism puts it this way, in, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And then the catechism goes on to the final thing, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Cross-reference there is Acts 1.11. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's going to come on the clouds. Apparently, he went up in one manner. He comes again. He comes, uh, but, but also the manner of his going up was one of glory and and exaltation, and that is the same manner in which he comes uh, in his second coming, right? He does not come in humility in his second coming. His first coming was his coming in humility. His second coming is not humble. (laughs) It's not in a state of humiliation. It's in a state of exaltation where he is going to put everything right. So his return, Acts 17.31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So Christ's exaltation consists of his resurrection, his ascension, his session, and his return. His resurrection declares, I mean, glorious truths. His resurrection declares that he... He is alive forevermore and has the keys of hell and death. I mean, think of that. The resurrection, uh, the resurrection proclaims him alive forever, but in a way where he has triumphed over death, right? And so he has the keys of death and hell, right? He controls it. He is master over death and hell by his resurrection, Right, he he. Um, I mean, think about this. Uh, his resurrection. He didn't see corruption in death. One, that's unlike you and I. We see corruption when we die. Right, we decay. Jesus did not see that decay. He um, he rose in the very same body in which he suffered. He rose. Uh, by his own power. He declared himself to be the Son of God by his resurrection. He satisfied divine justice 
He um, vanquished death and, and the one that had the power of death, the devil. Right? He, um, he has proclaimed the Lord of the living and the dead through his resurrection. All of which he did as a, as a public person. It was, it was seen by eyes, but also as the head of the church. Right? He, he, and in all of these, the resurrection, ascension, session, and those three, he does as head of the church. Now that's important. We'll come back to that later. And his resurrection was for justification. It was for uh, our quickening in grace and um, to assure us of our own resurrection. Now the ascension declares what? What does is, what is the ascension declare? We don't think about the ascension much. But Christ did. That's right. Christ ascended. But don't forget, he ascended in our nature. He ascended in our nature. What ascended to heaven? His body did. Right? The, the, humanity, his body, has ascended into heaven to sit on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Okay, humanity is there. He, ascend, he ascended as our head. He triumphed over our enemies. He visibly went up into the highest heaven. He there, there to receive gifts from men, to raise our hearts there, to prepare a place for us where he is. This is all summaries from the larger catechism that I'm pulling from. Right? But, but this, this ascension, um, we could go to Ephesians 4.8, and it speaks of he led captivity captive. Through that ascension, he um, but what stands out to me is is what it says in Hebrews six twenty that through through this he was made a high priest forever. And what's important about that? What's important about a priest is the priest is man. Right? And man has ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father. And now he is there as an intercession, as a priest. Right, Priests intercede between God and man. And there he is to the right hand of the Father ever to intercede for his people. As a man, as the God-man. <laughs> um, that glorious union of the two. Um, the session declares the power and glory of Jesus Christ, right? Remember what Jesus prayed when he was agonizing before he was crucified. Father, you know, um, give me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And, and God answers that prayer and dignifies him with the honor of sitting to his right hand, right? And he has glory, does he have more glory than he had before? Does he have more glory? Absolutely. He's, he's won the battle. 
right? He's come back in victory. He's, he's welcomed into heaven by the angels. If angels rejoice when, when somebody's converted, think of what the angels do when the Son of God, who's triumphed over death and who's redeemed a people, enters in triumphant and, and has, has destroyed the works of the devil, has entered in triumphantly into heaven to sit by his Father. I mean, what immense glory there is for the Son there. Um, Augustine said, by this expression, right hand, uh, we understand the power which this man, chosen of God, received that he might come um, to, uh, I'm sorry, come to judge who before had come to be judged. Right? Before, in his state of humiliation, he came so that he would be judged of man. Now he goes to the right hand of the Father, sits in session to the right hand of the Father so that he may come to judge. In Revelation, um, I mean, and what does his return declare? What does his return declare? Well, it declares the, the end and the summing up of all things in Jesus Christ. And we could go to Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and, on the, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, right? And so the return of Jesus proclaims him King of kings, Lord of lords, the the power of powers, the all of all, right? The, um, the King of kings. So God the Father... God the Father, the Father of the Son, highly exalted His Son. After the Son had emptied Himself, the Father exalted His Son. And this is, we are commanded to follow the same pattern. Right? We're commanded to follow the same pattern. Humble Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Now what does that mean? What does it mean for you to humble yourself? In the presence of the Lord, and He. What did it mean for Jesus to humble Himself in the presence of the Lord? It probably means the same thing for us. What's that? Thy will, not my will. 
Thy will, not my will. That's, that's number one, right? Thy will, not my will. Accepting the will of God, not forcing your own will upon the Almighty Father above. Right? That is part of humbling yourselves is, is accepting the will of God. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Trying to make it less abstract. To listen and obey. To study the word of God. To know what pleases the Lord. To study. To know what pleases the Lord and then to live according to his will and not your own will. To put to death the deeds of the flesh and live the rest of your time for the will of God. Okay? What else does it mean, humble yourselves? What does it mean, what does it mean for you? Humble yourself in the, in the presence of the Lord. Now, explain that verse really quick. <laughs> okay, so to consider others more important than yourselves is one way to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, right? Yeah, all these, all these ways, all the, you know, um, die to self, take up your cross, right? That's all humbling. But then what comes after humbling? Exaltation comes after humbling. What's that? He is seated. That's, that's his alone. You're absolutely right. And that's part of his exaltation. But that's what follows humiliation and humbling, is exaltation. But who does it? Who does the exalting? God does. And so what does your exaltation look like? What does your exaltation look like? Does this mean like... That's right. It's fixed and forever because... God is the one who gives it in Christ Jesus. Is this exaltation necessarily, um, I mean, does it have impact in the here and now? If you humble yourself, does God exalt you at times? Right? Does he, does he vindicate your name? Does he give you victory? Does he give you, um, does he, does he um, lift you up? Right? And lift up your head at times. You humbled yourself and God said, okay. Um, rejoice, let me provide for you, right? Let me provide for you in ways that you didn't expect, and he exalts you. But, but ultimately, what does the exaltation consist of? What does your exaltation consist of? Resurrection. Glorification. Resurrection and glorification. There's an exaltation coming for believers, right? What is left for the unbeliever? There, there is an eternal, an eternal state of humiliation for the unbeliever, 
right? An eternal working off of sins that can't be worked off. But for the believer, there is an exaltation coming, and it's our resurrection, right? It is our resurrection. Um, think of this, and this is, a, this is the important point. There's also an exaltation that you've participated in yourself that you already possess, that is already yours by virtue of something. Jesus did, this is from, um, this is what Mark Jones says. He says, Jesus did not rise from the dead alone. Who rose with him? The elect, his people. His people rose with him in the resurrection. He did not ascend alone. His people ascended with him. And he does not sit in glory alone. His session is not even alone. But we are told that we will sit upon the throne with him. Right? So... um, Mark Jones says, no, he rose, ascended, and sits as the husband of his bride. Right? The church, the bride of Christ, goes with Jesus where he goes in his exaltation. He took with him into glory all his people upon his breast so that we are as secure as he is in the heavenly places. We are as secure as he is in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 6 and he raised up us up with him. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seated with him. Seated with him where? At this, this right hand of the Father. Now it's mind-boggling. Okay, Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. If you have been raised up, past, I mean, it's like past tense. If you have been raised up with Jesus Christ, then keep seeking the things above. And then Revelation 3.21, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Whoa. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with, down with me on my throne as I who overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's pretty amazing, right? That we would participate in that. So our resurrection, our ascension, our session, that we participate in that in some extraordinary way, um, that we, we will judge the angels in some, some extraordinary way is all true. And true because Christ has done it already and took us with him as his bride, the church. And then, of course, his coming again when he makes everything right and puts everything in order, all forever to be in order and, uh, and right Um, Christ is exalted. It is Jesus who returns, right? It's not the Father who returns. It's not the Holy Spirit returns. It's Jesus who returns as judge of the living and the dead.
and he will judge the nations, and all the glory will then proceed into the new Jerusalem, where the people of God are gathered together and are safe and at rest. The bride of Christ is there to to live out her eternal days with her bridegroom, Jesus. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, that's, that's now, quite literally, because Jesus has gone ahead of us and is preparing that place for us, and we are united to him. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Right, so there's that pattern again. The body of our humble state transformed into the body of, of his glory. Right, that, that pattern of humiliation followed by exaltation. Humiliation. Um, one, last, one last statement about this, and maybe it has more to do with humiliation than it does with exaltation. But it's, it's sort of the convergence of the two and is an application of this. Jesus suffered humiliation for the joy that was set before him. And no doubt that joy that's set before him is not, yay, I get to, I get to not be doing this anymore. The joy that's set before him is this state of exaltation. Right, It is his resurrection, ascension, session, and his coming again. That's the joy that he has set before him, where all of his glory is displayed, where there's no longer an emptying of self, there's no longer this humiliation, no longer this suffering that he's going through. It's all good. Right? It's all good. And that is the same attitude that you and I have to have in this life. Right? We suffer... But we don't do it without fixing our eyes on what lies ahead and the joy that is to come. Humiliation with a forward-looking joy. Humiliation with an upward-looking joy. You know, suffering with light at the end of the tunnel. Joy. But it's not light at the end of the tunnel. It's like the power of the sunshine blazing forth, right? It's, it's joy, eternal That's what lies ahead. So don't think too highly of this time, this momentary light affliction. And it's momentary because it's just for a number of years. But the joy that's set before us, this glorious exaltation, is eternal. Eternal. And we praise God for that. So as Jesus has gone, so has his church gone with him. And it is a pattern also for us to live out our days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that we can study your word and study his work and study his glory. And and never come to the end of the aspects that we can let our minds meditate on. His radiance fills the universe. His glory shines throughout the heavens. 
and through the earth. And Lord, I pray as we, as we continue to think upon him that our minds would be lifted up and that short and tiny and weak thoughts of him would be replaced with, with thoughts that go on for days and miles and Lord, are, are appropriate to his glory. Help us with this. Help us to... Uh, help us by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.